Uh, Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to the Gospel uh, of Mark. Uh, Mark chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 32 to uh, 39. And this morning we'll be looking uh, specifically at verses 35 uh, through 39 uh, as our focus this morning. So this is the word of the Lord, as we find it in the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 1, beginning at verse 32, uh, down to verse uh, 39. This is uh, the living uh, and abiding uh, word of God. That evening at sundown, they brought to him, that's Jesus, all who were sick or oppressed by demons in the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the the word of the living God. Let's pray for his help as we consider it this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your promise that where two or three are gathered in your name, Uh, There you are with us, and so we thank you, Lord, for that promise today that we cling to as your word is read. We know, Lord, that this is the word breathed out by you. And so, Lord, we pray that uh, by your Holy Spirit you would take that word again today and uh, bring it uh, to our hearts, that it might sink deep within, uh, that it might change us, transform us as we go out today uh, to serve you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last time we looked at uh, verses uh, 29 through 34, and we were looking at verses 32 to 34, and had last uh, left uh, Jesus uh, at the uh, home of Simon uh, and Andrew, and Simon's mother-in-law was there who was ill, and a crowd had gathered uh, that, uh, that night uh, to come and see Jesus, and Jesus was ministering uh, to them, uh, a great crowd. I suspect... Uh, these these folks uh, were quite taken aback when they woke up the next day uh, and Jesus uh, was gone uh, because they wanted him uh, to stay. They wanted to keep him with them, uh, but they find out that Jesus uh, must uh, go on. Uh, when was the last time that you were uh, present uh, for, a, a, when was the last time you saw, I should say, a great movie in the theater? It's probably been a long time, I would suspect, but maybe not. But something like a great movie in the theater that, um, where you're actually, you know it's a great movie because you're sad, right? You're sad when it ends. And so a week or two ago, Fathom Events was uh, going to replay the uh, uh, or they were going to play the extended edition of The Return of the King, uh, and they played it in certain theaters around the country. And I was hoping to go, but it just didn't work out. And it's probably just as well, because it would have been over four hours. So I didn't have over four hours for that. But I would have loved to be there, because I do remember something about 20 years ago, uh, experiencing that, that movie for the first time. The, those scenes, the music, 
the triumph of good over evil, and of course, the crowning of the king. It was a great ending, that movie. But you didn't want it to end somehow. You wanted more story, more of the king. So some people sit in the theater after a great movie. They don't want to leave. Maybe you've had that before. Or perhaps when your sports team wins it all, Super Bowl, World Series, NBA Finals, Stanley Cup, and uh, you're there to see it. You don't want to leave. And you don't want the players to leave the field, leave the court, or leave the ice. You want them to stay. You don't want it to end. I have the feeling that one night in Capernaum, around 2,000 years ago, as the whole city, we're told, of folks gathered at the house of Simon and Andrew, they felt the same thing. They didn't want it. They didn't want it to end. And no doubt, some of them fell asleep at the door as they waited their turn to be seen by Jesus. Because the king had come, we've been finding out in Mark, because the time's fulfilled, and because the kingdom of God is at hand, and because the call has gone out to repent and believe in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, um, the reign and rule of King Jesus is becoming evident and manifesting itself uh, in this world. We saw that. Jesus came to the synagogue in Capernaum uh, with his disciples. He speaks the word of God with power and authority. Immediately the evil one knows the king has come. And uh, his grip on a man who's in bondage to an unclean spirit is overthrown. And a man's made whole. And the king is manifest. Jesus comes to the home of Simon. Peter and Andrew meets Peter's mother-in-law who's terribly ill with a high fever. And the one who's high and lifted up, full of glory and power and authority, the Holy One of God, reaches down his hand and takes a sick woman by her hand and lifts her up and she's made whole. And she immediately begins to serve. All because of the touch of his hand. And we saw the tenderness and the compassion and the gentleness and condescension of the king as he reaches down to take her hand. Uh, He doesn't shrink back from the sick and suffering and disease. He reaches down to heal them. Uh, This, of course, is what the Lord's Supper is all about that we're celebrating this morning. Um, The condescension of the Lord of glory, taking on himself a human nature, then becoming obedient even to the point of death on a cross. That's Jesus condescending as we see it here in Mark 1. So come evening, we left them last time, a crowd of broken, diseased, distressed, and suffering people and their friends who brought them crowd in around Jesus at the door of the home expectant of help, and Jesus helps them, heals them, proclaims that he is Lord of all, and nothing's too big, nothing's too hard. He comes, the King of glory, and all are welcome to come and find hope and healing, compassion and grace in the presence of Jesus. And then and the Bible says his fame spreads, uh, word spreads, lives are changed, and no one who will meet this King will remain the same, as we will see in the Gospel. Either, when you meet the King, you become hardened in your opposition to Him and say, I will not have Him as my King. Uh, Or, we will find folks that are drawn with the cords of love to Him and uh, fall down at His feet and worship and serve Him with all their strength. Ah. You may come as you are to Jesus, uh, but you will never leave him the same. This morning we see that this Jesus prayed and this Jesus pushed on. The Bible says very early, rising very early in the morning, 
uh, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. It appears that Jesus would have been that night uh, staying uh, with the others there at the house of Simon and Andrew and his mother-in-law. And yes, the Bible says very early in the morning. It was still dark. Uh, he'd been to the synagogue. He'd been to the house of Simon. Crowds all night. Jesus gets up early in the dark, quietly leaves the home to go to a desolate, that simply means lonely, isolated place, and there he prayed. And you think, hold on here. Wait a minute. And he prayed? Haven't we just been talking about uh, the authority and power and majesty and greatness and uh, tenderness and gentleness of the king who has come in his kingdom? I mean, he's the king. I can understand how Peter and Andrew, James and John, fishermen, sinful men, weak men, tired men, exhausted men, would need to get up early in the quiet of the morning and find a secluded spot to be alone with God. I can understand that because we're sinful and weak. But this is Jesus. Isn't that amazing? You and I know we need to pray. Uh, Every time we're asked about our prayer life, we immediately go into defense mode. At least I do. Um, Yes, I know I need to pray, but I don't pray as often as I should. Uh, Every time a candidate for the ministry uh, is asked about his prayer life at a Presbyterian meeting, you will never hear these words. My prayer life is great. I am praying as I should. You'll never hear that. Instead, you'll hear him relate a doctrine of prayer, how important prayer is. He knows he should pray. He knows the benefits of prayer. He knows he must pray, um, but how he fails to pray. And we all fail to pray as we should. Said Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, if you have never had any difficulty in prayer, it's absolutely certain that you've never prayed. Hmm. I like John Bunyan's definition of prayer best. Prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the soul to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Spirit for such things as God has promised. Our prayers, we know, are through Christ. That is, we can't come to God the Father except through the work of Christ and His shed blood on our behalf. But here, Christ Himself prays. Christ praying is a sincere, sensible, affectionate, pouring out of the soul to God in the strength and assistance of the Spirit for such things as God has has promised. So after an incredibly exhausting day for the Son of God, he knows he needs to pray. He, He needs to go spend time with his Father. He needs to go to his Father for help, for strength, for the sustaining assistance of the Holy Spirit. He goes to the Father to have fellowship and communion with the Father, never needing to confess sin. He would, though, no doubt pray for others, for his disciples, probably would have perhaps given thanks for all those who came the day before. Prayed for his disciples in John 17. He prayed for Peter. Remember when Satan wanted to sift Peter like wheat? Jesus would tell Peter, I have prayed for you. He would pray prayers of thanks at the raising of Lazarus. Thank you, Father, that you've heard me. He'd pray in times of his own suffering as in the garden. Not my will, Father, but yours be done. He was praying at his baptism, praying when he was transfigured, praying when he chose the twelve apostles. He gave himself for others. He would take on their burdens and he would give constantly of himself. He was like us in every way, the Bible says, except for sin. He got tired and hungry, physically weak and mentally exhausted. 
We confess in our confession of faith that he endured most grievous torments immediately in his soul and most painful sufferings in his body. And so he, he prayed. He prayed. This is why the Bible can say, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus needed to pray. Jesus needed the sustaining work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus needed to get up, go out, find a place to be alone with his father to begin a new day of ministry. And so we can go to him for help because he knows our need. Simply this, first of all, if Jesus, the God-man, fully God, fully man, knew his need to pray, his need to spend time with his Father, submitting to his will, giving thanks to him, seeking his help and sustaining power, simply being alone in fellowship with him, how much more need do we have as sinners to pray? Calling out upon God Spending time in worship with Him and communion with Him. Don't take prayer for granted. A couple of weeks ago in First Things magazine, I read this. Stop and pray on the street in front of an abortion facility in England or Wales, and you could find yourself under arrest. Never mind if your thoughts were lifted to God silently. Clause 11 of the Public Order Bill, recently adopted by the Parliament of the United Kingdom, bans influencing of any sort, including prayer in a 150-meter zone around abortion facilities nationwide. An amendment to exempt silent prayer and consensual conversation, just talking to someone, from the ban failed. It says, first things, ushering in a new era of modern-day uh, thought crimes in the United Kingdom. Now, here's the thing. Wait a minute. Ungodly, ungodly governments. <laughs> Ungodly governments know the importance of prayer. They know, well, they don't believe it. If Christians are somehow seeking God, whoever that might be, oh, they know the importance of prayer. Do we, do we, do we, do I, as God's people? So here's, the, here's Jesus, the creator and sustainer of all things. Jesus, the Holy One, who casts out demons with a word of power and authority. Jesus, whose very touch heals the sick. Jesus prayed. Do I? Pastor, Peter, do you think you don't need to pray? I don't need to pray. I don't need to pray. Pastor, do I need to pray before I preach? Elders and deacons, do you think you don't need to pray? Dads, do you think you don't need to pray when you've got, you know, wife to care for, children to raise up who the enemy wants to snatch? Dads, you don't need to pray. Moms, do you need to pray? Seniors, no need to pray when the, uh, the difficulties of life and things aren't working the way they should. They come upon you, get discouraged, maybe lonely. Seniors, you don't need to pray. Married folks, no need to pray for your marriage. Singles, no need to pray that God would keep you faithful from temptation. Widows and widowers, no need to pray. Young people, no need to pray that, that you wouldn't be lost, that the Lord would keep you close. 
No need to pour out your soul to God. Speak to him seeking his help. Jesus prayed. The church gathers on the Lord's Day for prayer. You need to be here. I need to be here. Jesus prayed. And he was the Son of God. I need to pray. I need help. (laughs) I need the sustaining of the Holy Spirit. Church gathers at other times for prayer. In the midst of our week, studying the Bible, spending time in prayer on Wednesday nights. Said Robert Murray McShane, what a man is on his knees before God, that he is, and nothing more. That is, completely dependent on, on God. I said another, to give prayer the secondary place is to make God secondary in life's affairs. Oh, friends, may God keep us from such in our own lives and in the lives of our children. Jesus, uh, early in, it's at, uh, to be with his Father, and he prayed. He prayed, and Jesus Pushed on. Uh, Verse 36, uh, you have to love and smile at the same time. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. Now Simon is exhausted too. He's been doing crowd control all night at his in-law's house. Trying to make sure no one breaks anything or steps on the flower bed or something like that. You know, he's probably got people sleeping outside, fogging up the hallways. They've all come to see Jesus. He's rubbing the sleep out of his eyes in the morning and he realizes Jesus is gone. Uh Uh-oh. And Simon, the Bible says, and those who are with him, search for him. It could be translated, this is wonderful, that word search means to pursue. Uh, It was a word used at the time in hunting. It means uh, they, they hunted him down. They tracked him down. Where is he? Now, what did this like, look like, I wonder? Okay, James and John, you take Capernaum Boulevard. Uh, Andrew, you go down Main Street. Mary and Bertha, Jerusalem Pike. Um, I'll take the park. And off they go. And they found him. And said to him, everyone is looking for you. What might have been going through the minds of the disciples and the others with Simon? Perhaps fear. The picture here is that the crowd of yesterday has not dissipated. Everyone's looking for Jesus. Folks have not gone home. What are we supposed to do? They want more of Jesus. But he disappeared. Maybe fear. What are they going to do? But it could also be they might have been a little disappointed. Hey? Maybe even a little miffed. You know, Things seemed to be going really well. Folks were excited. People were streaming to the house. And if the mission of Jesus were to gather a crowd, I mean, success was in the air. Why leave now? In fact, Luke tells us in his account, the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. That is, they didn't want him to go. They wanted him to stay and they wanted to keep him for themselves. And he said to them, verse 38, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Luke has, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. And Matthew says, And he went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So the folks say, Stay here. Jesus says, let us go on to the disciples. Let us go on. Uh, It could be translated, let us be going and keep on going. 
That is, let us go on to the next towns. I was sent for a purpose. This is why I've come out. Why? To preach there also. To preach the kingdom of God throughout all Galilee and beyond. To preach the kingdom of God in the next town. I can't stay here. I will not stay here. I must not stay here. Now, clearly, Jesus, we're being portrayed here in Mark 1, Jesus was a man on a mission. He was sent for a purpose, he says. That's why I came out. So I left the house, but that's indeed why, why I was sent by the Father. The Father had sent the Son for a particular purpose, and here Jesus describes that purpose as to preach, that is to proclaim, to herald, to announce, and to declare. And we know what he preached, remember, back in, uh, earlier in chapter 1. Uh, he preached this, uh, the gospel of God, time is fulfilled, kingdom of God's at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. I need to go elsewhere so others will hear that message. That is, believe in me, embrace me, the king has come, the kingdom's at hand, repent of your sin, believe in the gospel, believe in me. Trust me, put your hope in me. I came to heal, to help, restore, set free, forgive, lift up, give life. That message says, Jesus, I must preach to the next towns. I am not meant to stay here. Don't try and keep me. Don't try and keep me to yourselves. What you've heard and seen is not meant, says Jesus to these folks, is not meant only for you. Others must hear. Others must see. Others must be called to repent and believe in the gospel. Let us go on. Now imagine you're living on a small island and one man uh, lands on the shore and he comes to your house and says he's been out on the sea uh, and he has seen a, uh, let's say, a 150 foot tsunami forming out in the sea. And he has just been able, somehow he's been able to get, get to the island ahead of the, the tsunami. Uh, and he's come to warn you. And you say, oh, I'm so thankful, so thankful you've come to, to warn us. Come on in and have a meal. And he's, he's, a, wonderful, he's a wonderful man. And you get to know him and he's, he's, he's say, oh, this is great fellowship. This is great fellowship. So thankful you've come to me, warned me. And now, you know, I'm really enjoying your fellowship. No, you wouldn't do that. Or at least he wouldn't, he wouldn't stand for it. He'd say, I've come, yes, for you. But I've got to let others know. I can't stay here. We need to go on. Do you remember the word that's repeated so often in the Gospel of Mark? It's that Greek word that we translate immediately or at once. As we travel with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark, it's as if we're constantly being reminded to press on. Don't stay. We must, as Mark, move forward. There's more to the story of Jesus. There's more to the spread of the good news. And, and here we hear it from the lips of Jesus. There's an urgency to go on that others might hear. Thursday night, we were with some folks from Faith Church at the uh, Young Life fundraiser in Pennsville, a ministry to bring good news to middle schoolers, high schoolers, and the public school. And we heard this young teenage boy speak of how he grew up in a Christian home. But it wasn't until later in life, after he'd sought pleasure and joy, happiness, peace, all those other things, and other things, and it had left him empty, that he came to see his sin and recognize his need for Jesus. 
And so that was great to hear. But it was even greater to hear what he said next. And then he said, one of the things the Lord showed him, I don't know if he's 16, 17, something like that. One of the things the Lord showed him after he repented and believed in Jesus was the need of his friends to seek Jesus. And so he invites his unbelieving friends to places where they can hear about Jesus. This is what happens when when we've heard and seen and been touched by Jesus. We know he's not come just for us. He's come for others. Let us go on, says Jesus, to preach the kingdom. This is what Christian parents must understand. At our educational meeting this past Tuesday, we read from Judges 2, which reminded us that the generation of Joshua, it was glory days. The generation of Joshua served the Lord all the days of Joshua, all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. So that generation had heard and seen the great things of God. And yet a couple years later, the Bible says, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. In one generation, didn't know the Lord and didn't know what the Lord had done. Let us go on, says Jesus. Let us go on, parents. You may have seen and heard great things of the Lord as a parent. You may have professed faith in Jesus Christ. You know who He is. You know what He's done. You've seen His glory. But you must go on and raise up your children in the fear and nurture of the Lord. You must tell them. You must teach them. You must show them. You must do all you can so that the gospel of the kingdom is preached to them. They must hear. And the church, the family of God, is here to help you. You bring them to nursery to be helped by fellow believers. You bring them to Sunday school every Lord's Day because we have teachers who love your children and want to tell them more about Jesus. You bring them to youth discipleship for an opportunity to have fun together, yes, but to learn more about Jesus. You bring them to worship on the Lord's Day whenever you can. We're here morning, evening, exalting the Lord Jesus. And as parents, you bring them as often as you possibly can. Why? So that they will hear of the great works of God. You bring them on Wednesday night with you to be in the Word and pray with believers of all ages and hear more of the good news. Oh, and dear parents, when you are making decisions about what to do with your children, how to spend your time with your children, what kind of experiences you want to give your children... You know, what activities and sports and trips and other wonderful things you want them to enjoy. Please, for the sake of their eternal life, consider whether you want them to hear and see and experience and love more of Jesus. More of His love and His power, His kingdom, His grace, His word, His love for them. And you take them with you where Jesus is worshipped. And his word is poured over, and he is sought and communed with in prayer. Let us, let us go on. There's more people to hear of what we have heard. The gospel is not meant simply for ourselves. Let us go on, says Jesus, that I may, that I may preach. Uh-oh. Now that itself might shock us. Preach. Let us go on that I may preach, says Jesus, for that is why I came out. Verse 39 tells us that's exactly what Jesus would do. And he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues, casting out demons. 
This is important. Jesus is saying here he did not come out and was not sent uh, to star in the, uh, in the Ringling Brothers or Barnum and Bailey Circus. He didn't come out to be a wonder worker to be simply marveled at. Jesus did not come out and was not sent out to be the modern day cheerleading counselor who's here to increase your self-esteem and tell you that you're really much better than you think and be all you can be, take the bull by the horns, and as is popular today, just recreate yourself. It's not why he came out. And Jesus, friends, did not come out and was not sent out to be a Dale Carnegie precursor showing you how to win friends and gain influence and simply gain popularity and applause from the crowd and followers on social media. That's not why he came. He came to preach and came to preach the kingdom of God. He came to preach repent of sin and believe in the gospel. Believe in Jesus. Embrace Jesus as your king, your savior, who brings healing and help and restoration and forgiveness and peace. He tells us that he came out and was sent by the Father to preach in this town and the next town, your generation, your children's generation, whether that generation is X, Y, Z, boomer, buster, millennial, doesn't matter. To preach in your house and the next house, to proclaim in word and deed the kingdom of God. In word and deed, Jesus testified that the king has come. In word and deed, Jesus testified that his word, his authority, his power, his love, his grace, as we've just seen in this chapter, it's, it's broken in to the world of sin and selfishness and bondage and pride and arrogance and brokenness and violence and adultery and abuse and pornography and school shootings and shame and guilt and pain and death. And it's the king and his kingdom has broken in and he's come to heal and forgive. You and those in, in the next towns, the next generation, the, the next door neighbor, the, those who are next to hear of this Jesus. Jesus tells us in John 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And in John 17, Jesus is preparing for the cross. He prays to the Father. The hour has come. Jesus prays this. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him, that is, the Father has given to Jesus, authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you've given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And then Jesus says this, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work. Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. This is Jesus. Authority over all flesh. Giver of eternal life. That life is to know God and Jesus Christ. This brings glory to God. Jesus accomplished the work of the Father. And so Jesus says, let us go on. To the next towns. Yes, yes, yes. There are still next towns. Towns that have never heard. Towns perhaps that heard here in America maybe 400 years ago. I think I saw a sign when I drove through Salem. Something like what, 16, what is it, 1695? Something like that. The sign, welcome you to Salem. And so maybe 350 years, I don't know, the gospel came. 
300 years, 200 years, 100 years ago, 50 years ago, but another generation, another generation, another generation has grown up that does not know the Lord, nor the things He has done. Yes, there are still next families, next door neighbors, next children, next grandchildren who have not heard. And we need to preach the gospel of the kingdom to them. We must, says Jesus, we must go on. Thankful for what has passed. Thankful for what God has done here at Faith OPC in the 30s, 40s, 70s, 90s, 2000s. But as the Apostle Paul said, forgetting what lies behind and Straining forward to what lies ahead, I I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We're not done. We give thanks for the past, but now there is today, and there are more children, and there's grandchildren, and there's neighbors, and there's a community that have not heard and do not know the Lord or what he has, has done. And so please, let's hear from Jesus today. We don't keep the gospel to ourselves. No, we need to go on. That's why Jesus came, so that others would hear that the King has come. Let us go on then to preach the gospel of the kingdom to the next towns, next generation, next door neighbor, to the glory of God. Maybe so. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for these words of the Lord Jesus. We thank you that we can uh, see in his glory and majesty and power and authority. Yet, Lord, we see his tenderness and graciousness and, and gentleness. And we see his communion with you, the Father. We see him coming to you in prayer. And, O Heavenly Father, we pray that we would, uh, Lord, take from that great truth itself. Lord, our need for You, fellowship with You, being in Your presence, to be sustained and strengthened for Your calling for us. Oh, and oh, Heavenly Father, we thank You that the Gospel has come to us. We thank You for what we have seen of the Lord Jesus. But Lord, we pray that we would never seek to keep Jesus to ourselves, but that we would go on in our, in our families and teach our children to train them up in the way they should go. That when they are old, they would not depart from it. To teach our grandchildren. And Lord, perhaps we don't have children, but Lord, we're part of this church family and we see covenant children in this church. And so we, we teach or we help with Sunday school. Lord, we together as a church encourage one another that the next generation would know the great deeds of the Lord. And then, Lord, there's all our neighbors who are right next to us in our neighborhood. Lord, who have not yet heard. And so, Lord, we pray today. And we would take those glorious truths of the gospel, not keep them to ourselves, but know that you would have us to go on, go on proclaiming the goodness and greatness of Jesus. That others, too, uh, might be set free from sin and bondage and fear and come to know life in the person of the Son. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.